Hey. Well, good afternoon. Or good morning. Uh, good grief. And, uh, boy, I love hearing those kids say their verses. I learned so many Bible verses because sometimes you, you hear some of them, you go, oh, didn't he say that same one last time? <laughs> I've been trying to get Bethany to come up, and uh, she just... She says, when I grow up, I'll do it. (laughs) Maybe not, maybe not. Well, congratulations, uh, Brother Aaron. How many is that now? Grandkids. Eight grandkids. Oh, my, my, my. And uh, he's got number nine on the way, right? Yeah, well, good. And I just kind of introduced that because I want to brag a little bit about um, uh, Micah Daniel Roberts that was born on the 24th, Laura. And uh, David uh, did a really nice delivery, and I got some pictures if you want to see on my phone. Um, so uh, it was very, it just, uh, I guess I can say it this way, that just tickles my belly when that happens, you know. What a joy. The Lord has been very, very good to us, hasn't he? And we're, th- and we're thankful for that. Well, I have the distinct privilege of uh, considering the book of Ruth. Uh, just an absolutely beautiful book, and I am scared stiff because I'm just kind of afraid I'm going to mess it all up. It's such a lovely story. I don't want to chop it up too much. Um, but it's been a wonderful study for me uh, to going through this. And um, I guess a jumping off spot would be before we you know, dig into the book, I'm going to actually hopefully um, approach it. We're going to look at four aspects. We're going to look at uh, the departure. Um, We're going to look at the decisions that had to be made. We're going to look at some discoveries. We're going to ask some questions. There are some questions that are asked, and we're going to get some discoveries, and then we're going to hopefully look at the deliverer. But uh, not all this morning, okay? I think uh, we probably will only get through the... um, the departure, and maybe uh, some of the decisions this morning. And then this evening, we'll try to wrap it all up um, because I haven't really completed my notes, so I'm not going to be here long, so i got to go home and study and finish up. Anyhow, well, a great place. You know, last week I really appreciated our brother Mike's um, study on Samson and, uh, you know, just the dilemma that the nation was going through, and that cycle, that cycle of rebellion, uh, um, persecution, repentance, right, and delivery, you know? Uh, And I think it's very typical of all of our lives in a lot of ways, if we're not careful. Um, I was talking to a young girl a little bit earlier this morning, and she was talking about how busy she is. She's raising a a daughter and all of these things, and and she just wants to rest. And I said, you know, in the Christian life, you always have to be on guard. There'll come a time when you can rest, but you always have to be on guard because we're all gullible, we're all susceptible to those same things that the children of Israel had to deal with. Well, uh, after uh, Judges chapter um, 16 and 7, 16 and 17, Judges 18, 19, 20, and 21 just explained just the dilemma that uh, Israel was getting worse and worse. And uh, they weren't learning their lessons. We Three times uh, it's indicated 
uh, that in those days there was no king in Israel. Well, they weren't operated by a king. They weren't governed by kings. They were governed by judges. But there's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's interesting when it comes up three times in those five chapters that there was no king. It's an indication that something is going to happen. And um, Israel ends up, before we get to Ruth, we have that situation where the Benjamites go in, they capture these women from Shiloh and Zoor, and they, because they had no wives, and that they capture these dancers and take them on as wives. It was not a very um, <coughs> morally uh, uh, right uh, culture at that time. There was a lot of problems going on. And then we come into this lovely, in many ways, poetical book. And Ruth, in a lot of ways, is a link between Judges and 1 Samuel. And if you'll turn in your Bible with me there, we have uh, the book of Ruth, and that would be, it's a very small book, only a few pages, four chapters, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and there she is, the book of Ruth. And in contrast to the book of Judges, where the nation of Israel as a whole, and for the most part, um, the characters are portrayed as Canaanized in heart, in mind, and in deed. And, and it's, it, it describes particularly those last five verses in many ways an ethical wasteland. Not a very good picture. But the book of Ruth, one commentator said, the book of Ruth is a pearl in the swine pen of judges. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very lovely book. It furnishes a kind of intermediate link between uh, uh, that fall of the nation of Israel under God's immediate government and a, and a future um, fulfillment of his purposes. They were in rebellion, but God will have his purposes succeeded. Luke or, or, or yes, succeeded. Luke, or, or Ruth is that link between Judges and First and Second Samuel. A couple of noteworthy things in all of the Bible: the two books in the Bible that are named after women. One was Esther, and the other one here is Ruth, uh, the Jewish girl um, Esther who would marry a prominent Gentile, King Ahasuerus. And then you have the other Gentile woman who would marry a prominent Hebrew. And that would be Ruth and Boaz. So there's, uh, it's, no, it's noteworthy to just you know, think through that. There was another significant thing that was brought to my attention that these women had in common and that both of them were... Uh, as they were in, they, they were a big part of God's redemptive history. Whereas God used Esther to um, save His people from that physical destruction. You remember, the whole nation of Israel would have been wiped out, and she would save them from that. Here we see God uses Ruth as an important genealogical link 
between starting here to the to the messianic line. It's a genealogical genealogical did I say that right? Genealogical link uh, to the messianic line, and it would start with David, and then it would go even all the way up to Christ, and it was Christ who would save his people from their sins, right? From their sin. Matthew chapter 1 gives that genealogical reference. It says in verse 5, And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and you remember Rahab, was that other Gentile woman. And Boaz, uh, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and we understand that Jesse would be the father of David. So Boaz was really the great grand, becomes the great grandfather of David. Another important or an interesting um, noteworthy fact is is that uh, both Rahab and Ruth picture God's grace, right? Because both of them, they would have been excluded from the commonwealth of Israel due to their ethnicity, right? They would not have been allowed to be part of that commonwealth or those blessings uh, that God had promised to Israel. So Boaz, we're going to read about him here. He's the redeeming relative, and he buys back the land which belonged to Elimelech, and he raises up a posterity so that the name would continue. A very important character here. He's pictured as a type of Christ. Um, and Christ obviously is the true redeeming relative. So Ruth is pictured here as the church, or as it were, the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ was redeemed by Boaz, or as it were, um, Ruth was bought back or bought out by Boaz, but the church has been bought by the Lord Jesus Christ by his grace. So that's really just an an overview of the book. So we're going to get into a little detail here um, quickly. And turn with me to chapter 1. This chapter, in a lot of ways, pictures the waywardness of the human heart. The waywardness of the human heart and the tendency of the human heart. And it starts with a, a departure. Our brother, uh, J. Boyd Nicholson, gave a little outline on this. And he said if he was to outline chapter 1, he would, verse chapter 1, verse 1, he would title it, Sick of Home. Verses 2 through 5, he would title, Away from Home. Verse 6, Homesick. Verses 7 through 18, Homeward Bound. And then verses 19 through 22, home. And I thought that was very, very appropriate. And we're going to kind of utilize that same outline here. So verse chapter one, verse one, homesick. We want to get into our mind and we understand that there was a political and social, there was economic distress going on in the nation of Israel. We already saw what happened to Samson. And then you just read those five chapters. There was religious confusion. They had began to bring in worship idols and build uh, shrines to idols. 
they, uh, they, they began to violate some of the um, uh, um, uh, commandments of the Lord. Uh, and it just and it, it ends up here, as we already mentioned, they went in, they captured these women uh, from other from Shiloh and from Zoar as it was. So there was a lot of distress going on. Uh, and as a result of it, uh, there was discipline. And it says in verse one, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And a lot of the people brought out some important facts of some of the titles of these places, these names. Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem is the place of blessing. And Judah is the place of praise, right? So there's, so he lived in a place of blessing, in a place of praise. And he would go to a land of Moab. And it was... It was, a, it was a certain man, he says, went to dwell in the country of Moab. It was a far country. It was far away. And he was led there. He went there as a result of the circumstances in the land of blessing. And, of course, the circumstances were there because of disobedience. And I think Elimelech, Elimelech had in his mind the grass being greener over there and to some extent. And, you know, sometimes the world kind of tempts us that, you know, the grass is just a little bit greener on the other side with TV and with all of the, all of the toys, with all of the uh, frivolity of the world. It tantalizes people that maybe the grass is a little bit greener. And so he had that sort of mentality, I think. And he was in many ways trying to escape that discipline that was coming down due to obedience. He left the place of blessing and he went down to that far country, Moab. And by the way, it was told that they were not to take wives from Moab. Now, Moab... I don't have time. We're not going to do all that backtracking. But we know that the, nation, the land of Moab was from, and if, of course, if Elimelech, and by the way, the name Elimelech means God with us. And there are many who said, well, the nation was in such turmoil that when Elimelech was born, his parents wanted him to remember that God is with us, Right? And, and uh, if he would have thought of that, he would have understood what Moab was. And he would have thought back to the days of Lot, when Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, and when Lot lived in Sodom, and then when Sodom would be destroyed, and Lot would have go up into those mountains, and there get involved with an illegitimate relationship uh, with his daughters, and one of the um, results of that would be a son called Moab. And for other reasons, they were not to uh, affiliate themselves or take anything, wives 
uh, uh, material. They were not, to, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, they were not to take anything from the children of Moab. But for some reason or the other, it just slipped his mind. <laughs> I don't think it really slipped his mind. And by the way, this book of Ruth is a wonderful book about God's sovereignty as well as God's providence. Okay, and hopefully we can bring that out in a little bit. So he surgeon, he sorts, he, he, he dwelt, or it says here that he, he went to dwell in a country of Moab, and he shouldn't have even been there. And it's interesting in verse 1, uh, it says that he, he went to dwell in the country of Moab. In verse 2, it says, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. And then later on in verse 4, it says, and they dwelt there or they lived there about 10 years. So I think the idea is he never really went there to stay there. He just went there you know, because there was a famine and the grass was greener and he thought things would be a little bit easier for him, as well as escaping the discipline of God. So it, it wasn't, but look at this, in verse 3, now it says first they went there, then it says they remained there, then it says they lived there, but something else happened. In verse 3, Abimelech died there. And then in verse 5, uh, his two sons, uh, Chilion and, um, and Malon, they would die there as well. So um, it was an escape of, the, of, of, of discipline that was uh, probably not the very, very best option. He didn't make the very best choice here. So it says here that uh, he was escaping the political structure. Now, let's read verses 2 uh, through 5. It says, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now, they took wives of the women of Moab. Now, they're just really uh, pushing... Uh, pushing the line here. Uh, the name of the one was Orpha and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. So here they are away from home. They're in a far country. And Moab in many ways pictures a place of compromise. It pictures a place of illegitimate relationships. It started there and it happened there again. Right? This was the far country. And, and the compromise began here when, when Chilean and Malin took wives. This, and this, this is an important aspect. And, you know, I, just, I was speaking to a person earlier today. And the importance of not getting yourself into, young people, not getting yourselves into a relationship where you are un, 
equally yoked is it's primary. And here they were in, in an unequally yoked relationship. Right? And it has devastating effects in a lot of ways. This little per, this person I was talking to, I asked, well, you know, uh, are you guys close? No. Um, do, you know, uh, but, but we're not far away. Well, maybe you should separate yourselves a little bit more, I thought. And then I thought, that was stupid. But, and then the person said to me, we can't separate ourselves. We have a child. So there's, there's those devastating things that come when you're in a relationship and you're unequally yoked. And it's important that, um, God, that we honor God in that to make sure that that relationship is a relationship with somebody who honors and loves the Lord like you do. So they were in that far country. The compromise began, and it began there in that unequally yoked situation. In verse 6, we read, Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab for uh, she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So there's this idea of being homesick. She wants to go back home. And by the way, this is the first glimmer of hope. And you know, even though it was difficult in the land of blessing, even though it was difficult in Bethlehem, Judah, there were those who remained faithful. And when she returns back to, Jews, uh, to Bethlehem, Judah, she finds one who was not only faithful, but because of his faithfulness, he was very prosperous. She comes across Boaz, who had remained in the land of blessing even during the difficult times. And you know, we like to do that, don't we? Especially in our culture. When the times get tough, what happened? No, we just get going. I don't want to deal with this anymore. We see it in, in, the, in the Christian realm, in the Christian world. People find a church to go to, and if something happens, and maybe there's a confrontation about sin in their life, or there's a situation and things get a little difficult, well, um, I can just go to another place of worship, right? And that's really the mentality of the world. But here we see that Boaz had remained there and the, the glimmer of hope comes up in the life of Naomi when she sees that God has visited her people. And, you know, I think... For those who remained and for those who maintained those difficult times, there has to be a daily conscious practice of the presence of God. You know, when the difficult time comes, does that mean that God has left us? I think those difficult times are designed to show us that God actually loves us and cares for us. And how many times in Genesis and through the scriptures there was a famine in the land, right? And it was designed to revive our hearts, to cause us to reach out in repentance 
and look for a deliverer. And God was always faithful in doing that. And that daily conscience or conscious practice of the presence of God develops what I called a contentment not based on circumstances nor produced by circumstances. And there we go all the way up to the Beatitudes when, Jeff, when the Lord Jesus would say, happy are you, right? Happy are those who are broken in spirit, right? Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are the hungry, right? Why? Because their contentment, their happiness is not developed by their, it's not produced by their circumstances, right? Nor is it affected by their circumstances. That's a happiness that comes by knowing the presence of the Lord. Practicing, right? Conscientiously thinking about the presence of the Lord. So she was homesick and she goes back there. Let's look at verses 7 through 18. 7 through 18. It says, Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, And they lifted their voices and they wept and they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. Now stop right there quickly. Now it's at this point both daughter-in-laws are there. And I don't know what they looked like, but at this point they were not distinguishable because they both cried, they both wept, they both said at this point, We will go with you. Right? But look at what happens. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? In other words, is there any hope for you if you go with me? Turn back, go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should, and if I, and if I should say I have hope, I should have a husband tonight and, and should bear sons. Are you going to wait for them? Right? And so she's, she's, she's causing them to make some decisions. There was the departure. Now there's some decision-making that's going to have to go on. A decision is to be made to leave or to cleave. Now you have three characters at this point in the book of Ruth. You have Naomi, who is the grieving wife. You have Ruth, who is the cleaving wife. Right, and then we have the um, the other the other uh, sister's name what Orpha. Okay, thanks, Orpha, who was the leaving wife. So you have one grieving. What a what a situation! One grieving, one cleaving, and one leaving. But some decisions had to be made. And even though you couldn't tell the daughters or distinguish them from their outward appearance up to this point, um, they would ultimately have to make some hard choices. Now look at verse 7. In verse 7, 
it says that th- that Orpha or Orpa, just like Ruth, she was on the way. Right in verse seven. It says, uh, therefore, she went out from that place and her two daughters, and they went on the way. So they were both on the way. Look at verse 9. And it says, it says here at the end of it, so she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So they were both on the way, right? And now here they are, they're both weeping. But the things begin to change in verse 10. And she says here, uh, in verse 10, they say, well, surely we will go with you. But really, in the life of Orpah, there was some wrestling going on. And we know that because we know the end of the story. Verses 11 through 13, but Naomi begins to challenge her more. In verse 12, turn back. Can I give you another husband? In verse 13, would you wait for them and know my daughters? It says, very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. And they lifted up their voices and they wept again. Now, here comes the distinction in verse 14. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Okay? And this was interesting to think of it this way. The kiss was a token of commitment. You've been to a wedding before, right? You know, and you may now what? At the end of it, kiss the bride, right? That's just, that's the, it's not the commitment, right? It's the token of a commitment. But the cleaving that, the cleaving that Ruth would do, it's not a token, but it's a total commitment. And as a result of it, we hear Naomi say in verse 15, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after her, right? Return after your sister-in-law. Because she only had what? A token commitment. But Ruth, on the other hand, let's see what she says. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. She began to, to embrace. And I talked to this one person earlier again today. And I said, they, there's, there's an ownership here. She saw Naomi's life. She knew. And by the way, the people in, Noab, in, in, in Moab, they very well knew what was going on in Bethlehem, Judah. They knew the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. They knew him intellectually, but they never embraced them as their own God. So she was wavering. She wept, kissed her mother-in-law. She left. And by the way, Orpah, at this point, you don't hear about her ever again. She vanishes. She never ends up in the place of blessing. She goes back to her gods. She was unwilling to count the cost. She was unwilling. And by the way, Orpah's name, and this is really cool, Orpah's name is called Stiff-Necked. And how many times has the Lord said, you what? Stiff-Necked people, right? As he talked to the children of Israel. And Ruth, her name means friend. She was a friend and she was willing to go. And she was 
willing to trust. And they both had to make a decision. One's decision was by a kiss, which was a token commitment, and the other was by cleaving, which was total commitment. Ruth had total commitment. And the last section, their home. And I think that we're going to finish up with this in verses 19 through 20. And we'll just pick out two particular verses. Go with me to verse uh, 20. We'll read verse 20 and 21. <clears throat> or let's, I guess we have to start with 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And by the way, <clears throat> I like the, what uh, Brother Nicholson said. He says, you know, when we don't see somebody for a long period of time, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll come up to them and we'll say, you know, I haven't seen you for a long time. You haven't changed a bit. That's probably not the best thing to be saying, right? Because I want to be what? Changing, okay? Naomi, however, had changed. But she had not changed in the right direction. Before she, her name, Naomi, would be, her name would mean pleasant. She was the pleasant one. And here she goes on and she cries out to them. And they say, is, that, is this Naomi? But she says what? Do not call me pleasant. I'm not pleasant. She just got done telling her daughter-in-laws the hand of God was on her, right? Was upon her. She says, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I'm not the person I used to be. I went out full. I went out with a husband and two sons, and I came back empty. I went to Moab. I went to where the grass was greener. I compromised like that prodigal son. Right? I went out. He went out because of all his riches. She went out because of the famine. Right? And by the way, I like the fact that, you know, the prodigal son didn't return because he was hungry. Because when he was hungry... He ate some of the pig slop. But when he was starving, he went back to the Father. Right? And that's the way it is. But here we see that um, she, she says, I went out. I went, I went away full in verse 21. And the Lord has brought me back empty. You know, the, the Almighty has brought a calamity on me. So there's some great, interesting lessons that we can learn from this book, right? That those compromises that the world asks us to take, they're, they're not what they try to dress them up to be. They will end up empty. They will end up disappointing. That when tough times come, we need to take an, an inside look and say, why are... Why are these tough times here? What is this discipline driving me to look at in my own life? Where is that area in my life that I need to handle? Not running from it, right? But to embrace it. And then this evening when we get back together, we'll look at this next section where it's a story of discovery. There's some questions that will be asked.
and will be answered. But, you know, we think about the situation of our own world and the characters in here. We think of, of Elimelech and, and how he would, in a lot of ways, he would forfeit those blessings of God. There was a time in a garden when God had made preparation for a couple and all provision was made for them. And in one fleeting moment, through the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, they would forfeit that blessing. They would forfeit that relationship of blessing. And as a result, it would, dri- it would drive all of humanity into the far country. Into the far country. But there is a deliverer. There is a Boaz who will ultimately buy and has bought us back with his own life. He bought us back with his own life. It says in, um, in Ephesians chapter 12, it says, Remember that you were at, t- at that time past separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth. You were just like Ruth, right? In the land of Moab. You were alienated and you had no hope. But later on, the next verse in Ephesians chapter 12, verse 13, we looked at it a little bit this morning. It says, But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great privilege we have. To be in the blessing, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know that blessing, guard it. Don't forsake it. Don't compromise. If you're not sure about that blessing, it's a, it's it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that you know. There's a what's that passage in Romans? It says it's um, in Romans chapter four and verse two. Uh, let me look it up, and I'll close with this. I just got a couple scattered thoughts here. I just closed with this one. I believe it's Romans chapter 4 and verse 2. No, I'm sorry. It must be 2 and 4 because I know it was those two. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Those disciplines in our lives, perhaps the Lord's disciplining you, He's leading you to repentance. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ brings us into the land of blessing. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word and may these perhaps few scattered thoughts find fertile ground and... and, um, grow fruit in the lives of the hearers. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that studying and looking into the depths of your word, how it's challenged my own heart. I've taken a look to see, am I like Elimelech? Have I brought my family into the far country? Have I compromised my own life and the things that I do? Have I left the land of blessing? and the many other challenges that we find through Your Word, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would just reach deep, that Your Word would challenge us, 
And um, we'll give you the thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.